Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Mabel Wadsworth Center, providing comprehensive sexual and reproductive health services to people in northern and eastern Maine since 1984. Insurance, Maine care, self-pay accepted, and reduced fees for uninsured clients. MabelWadsworth.org. The time is 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Healthy Options with your host Cynthia Swan is up next. Hi and welcome to Healthy Options. I'm Cynthia Swan and our topic today is men's health. And my guest joining me is Jillian Kelsey Rose, who is an herbalist, a health educator, passionate gardener, and mother. She has a background in clinical herbalism, naturopathy, permaculture, and plant mysticism. Jillian has studied naturopathy and traditional European herbalism at the Southern Cross University in Australia, as well as incredible American herbalists in this country. She lives close to the earth with her family in Hope, Maine, where she offers classes. Currently, she is doing some work co-teaching with the Earthwalk School of Herbal Traditions, and she will be doing a class in April at Quarry Hill in Camden, Maine. Her contact email is Jillian Kelsey Rose, J-I-L-L-I-A-N, K-E-L-S-E-Y, Rose, at gmail.com. Welcome. Hi, Cindy. Thanks so much for having me today. Glad to have you here. So I thought it was interesting that, um, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be talking about men's health. I think this might be the first show that we've ever done on men's health. But anyway, I'm curious, why did you want to do uh, men's, to, to, how did you end up delving into men's health, wanting to talk about this, wanting to educate, and what called you to do this kind of work as an herbalist and educator? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and it's not surprising that this is the first uh, session that's been on men's health to me. I, As you had mentioned, I studied naturopathy in Australia, and something that really struck me when I was there, which was, let's see, nine or ten years ago, was that um, the class was predominantly women, and, or the our cohort was predominantly women, and that almost everyone wanted to specialize in either women's health or children's health. I didn't hear a single person in the entire time that I was there in this, you know, incredibly intensive program uh, really talking about men's health at all on any level. And I found that really striking. And I think that's probably what initially brought up my interest in the subject. Um, and then I just, I guess there were a few things that I had hoped to mention today just to kind of set the stage for where we're going to go with this. Um, my experience, um, both from my time studying naturopathy in Australia and then my time as a clinical herbalist since then, is that men are really incredibly underserved in our healthcare system as well as our alternative healthcare opportunities um, in this part of the world. So, something that um, I've talked about with several friends and herbalists over the last couple of years as I've been really exploring this concept. Um, something that I've heard on multiple occasions is that there's this general understanding that because our culture has been focused on trying to shift a patriarchy, which has been out of balance for so long, the masculine has been labeled as bad or wrong or domineering or aggressive. And I would say that men, as well as all genders, have suffered really deeply for this. Um, 
And so I've been exploring that as a part of my personal journey um, and really finding ways to honor um, true masculinity, which is also love and protection and generosity, strength, creativity, a zest for life, an adventuresome spirit, and an openness. Um, So it's something that I've really focused on both in my life and in my clinical practice to um, try not to perpetuate the unbalance of associating masculinity with these negative side effects only. Um, but to remember that we all have a masculine and a feminine side within our spirit and body, um, and to remember the incredible beauty and necessity of masculinity. Hmm. So, so having said that, um, what do you want to start with? The the topic of men's health is so incredibly broad. Um, where do you want to start and, and why? Well, I think that I would actually like to start with the cardiovascular system. Cardiovascular disease is the primary reason for death in the male population of our country. Um, and other major concerns for the male body are prostate health and spiritual emotional health. Um, and I did also, I really wanted to start with saying, um, with speaking to and honoring the fact that there are many people in a male body who do not identify as men. Um, And for the purposes of this talk, we're going to talk about people in a male body who do also identify as men um, as a place to kind of go from and go forward. But, But that it's much more complicated than that, as we all know, and that some of these things are helpful to people of all genders. Okay. Um, so should we just dive into yeah, cardiovascular dive health? Into, yeah. Okay. Let's see. Let's start with Hawthorne. So because my background is in herbalism and that's primarily what I focus on, Hawthorne is the most foundational herb for cardiovascular health for all of us with the human body. Um, Hawthorne is, like I said, this incredible foundational herb. It's one that I actually refer to as trophorestorative. So in the European herbalism that I studied, um, most of my teachers in Australia were people who had studied in, um, on the British Isles in their youth. And therefore, what I'm coming from is more of a European background when it comes to herbalism. Hawthorne, as we know, lines these incredible hedgerows of every field. and um, It's even the berries, right? Yeah, yeah. So we use, we actually do use medicinally the leaves, flowers, and berries. And historically, the whole plant has been used. Um, But hawthorn berries are probably what's most widely known. And it's such a foundational plant to overall cardiovascular health because it has many actions. Um, And this is also a plant that has been studied um, pretty significantly scientifically in the medical world as well, particularly in Germany. So in both Eastern and Western medicines, Hawthorne has long been used for heart health and its function um, regarding heart health is considered to be amphoteric. Amphoteric means that it can have one action or the opposite depending on what the body needs. So it can increase constriction or dilation of the blood vessels. It can prevent or encourage the release of angiotensin, which can help to raise or lower blood pressure depending on what's needed. The way that plants do this, because plants are a lot more complicated than pharmaceutical medications, they have many, many constituents and they have, in my opinion, a spirit that also helps guide their action in the body. Um, But on a scientific level, the way that Hawthorne helps to, or the way that Hawthorne possesses this amphoteric quality of having multiple opposite, seemingly opposite actions actions in the body is because what it really does is improves balanced lipid dispersion in the cell walls of the cardiovascular system. 
So if we have too much lipid dispersion, then we have, you know, issues on one side of the too spectrum. Too much fat, in other yeah. words, right? Yep. Yeah. Higher yeah. blood pressure, um, more constricted vessels. And if we have too little, then we can have slack vessels and that can lead to, to blood pressure that is too low, um, which is something that runs in my family and that sort of thing. So what we're really talking about is this action um, this affinity that Hawthorne has for the cardiovascular system and for improving balanced lipid dispersion in the cells. So whether they're damaged and in need of lipid dispersion or whether they're saturated and needing less. So this is a plant that's been um, studied and used very successfully um, throughout for a documented history of use of at least 500 years, although I suspect that it's several thousand um, that it has been in use. Um, and also studied extensively and found to help balance cholesterol intake. So it can lower the absorption of low-density lipoproteins, what we call bad cholesterol, and mm -hmm. it actually improves the intake of the intake and assimilation of high-density lipoproteins, which is good cholesterol. So it can help balance um, a cholesterol picture and bring it into a healthier regimen. It can be used just to straight up lower cholesterol. If your cholesterol is very high, then it will have that effect too. Um, so it's one that I just would also like to mention. There's research in using Hawthorne for heart arrhythmias, general cardiovascular debility, angina, tachycardia, and coronary artery disease. Um, but something that is not as much in the medical world talked about, even in Germany where it is used in the medical world, um, it's not talked about as much, is that it has a really strong nervine effect as well. It also supports the nervous system, particularly mm. the flowers. Um, so it's helpful for cardiovascular issues that are also related to anxiety or nervousness or restlessness. Um, and it's just great for somebody who has that kind of dual picture going on. But overall, Hawthorne is a is a very safe herb. We'll talk in a second about contraindications with pharmaceuticals, but overall for somebody who's not on heart meds, it's a very safe herb. It's a very food-like herb. It's been consumed as food for a very long time. As we said, we're talking primarily about the berries, the leaves, and the flowers. If you're wanting to use other parts of the plant, more research would be needed. Um, but it's often used as an extract or as a jam. Um, I've had a solid glycerate extract that was amazing where the berries are extracted in glycerin. Um, or as a tea, as a syrup, as a cordial, all those kind of like syrups and cordials are one of the most old-fashioned ways to take our medicine. They make it delicious and it's mm. more food-like, it's more of a treat. Um, and that's really a great foundational herb to just have in our diets as we age, especially when cardiovascular disease becomes more of an issue. And I, I just, I wasn't going to go there, but I can't help myself. When you talk about this, what about um, like a dose? What, what would the dosage be? Is it, is it based on somebody's weight? Is it based on I mean, how do you figure that out? Yeah, it's a great question. Dosage is a really big question, and it's one that as an herbalist I struggle to answer because my opinion has changed so much over the years. I, in my clinical practice, and currently I'm not taking clients um, because I have a new or a still very young child baby. at home. <laughs> yeah, baby at home. Um, but in my clinical practice throughout the time that I was seeing clients, and I will continue to in the future, 
Um, I really, it's, there's so many factors for me in what dosage I will recommend. It has to do with the safety of the herb and the traditional dosage. Um, but the traditional dosage will also be very different in different herbal systems or backgrounds. Um, it depends on the person and whether they constitutionally seem very strong or very sensitive. Um, so if they're sensitive, they would call for less? If they're sensitive, it, I'll usually use less um, okay. or I'll recommend more of a um, like a flower essence or homeopathic preparation. Um, but just to say across the board where Hawthorne is such a foundational and food-like herb, I think if you're just wanting to bring it into your daily usage, a cup of tea a day or a cup of tea a few times a week or um, a half a teaspoon of extract a day is a great place to start unless you have more specific reasons for wanting to use it, in which case it'd be great to work with an herbalist or to do some reading on the subject. Um, any book by Rosemary Gladstar is a good go-to for people who are interested and are wanting to start educating themselves. But Hawthorne is, it's a very safe herb. Like a traditional um, British dosage, which is how I learned, would be much, much higher than that. It would be several, probably be like up to 20 mil, uh, mils a day. And that's still... 20 mil one time a day or... 20 mils of up? a one-to-one -one extract. Of a one-to-one. Um, -one. Yep, yep, per day. And that, to me, is a really high and even unnecessary dose, but it's still a very safe dose because it's very food-like. It's like eating a handful of berries. Um, okay. And, you know, eating a handful of blueberries, we know, has right. medicinal benefit and also is very safe and nutritious. Okay. So Hawthorne is kind of king when we're talking about the <laughs> circulatory system. I feel like Hawthorne is the center. It is? Okay. Yeah. And then is there, are there more? There are. Um, just before we get off of Hawthorne, I do want to mention that it should not be taken with heart meds. Um, okay. There's more specific information there, and I'm not going to get into every med and how it could or could not be used. Um, but if you are taking heart meds and you're interested in starting to work with Hawthorne, find a good herbalist or find a doctor who's open to helping you work on that path, and it's definitely doable. Hawthorne, the reason that we don't use it with heart meds is because it actually has an adjunctive effect. It is so effective that it will um, drastically improve. Adjudicate. So in other words, it really can up the power of the... Right, in which case you need to be working with somebody who can lessen your dose of the heart meds. Okay. Which is great because in a lot of cases, the heart meds have some serious side effects and we would like to lessen or get off of them. Um, but it's important to do that with guidance and support so that you're not putting yourself in a dangerous situation. Definitely don't want to be on a higher dose of heart meds than you need to be. Um, yeah, so I, I think that that's a good place to end, but I just can't help but want to, want to mention that Hawthorne is, um, to me, as I said, and as Cindy said, I have a background in plant mysticism, and I definitely connect with plants on a spiritual level as well as physical, which is just something that comes from many, many years focusing on them. Um, and I just need to mention that Hawthorne is one of the most incredible teachers of healthy boundaries around the heart. So if there's a lot of issues with the heart chakra, with um, a lack of being able to share and receive love in a healthy way and feel that deep generosity that comes from having a full heart, that Hawthorne is a great teacher of healthy boundaries, of letting people in who are there to serve and love you and of holding people out that are not. Mm. Um, but yeah, but shall we move on to yeah, a few other yeah, herbs? Yeah, yeah. So okay. what, what else do you have in your uh, 
in your b- magical backpack. Of- <laughs> well, I think that I want to leave enough time here for us to get through the cardiovascular, the nervous system, and to talk about the reproductive system. Um, so I think I'm just going to kind of touch on a few other herbs in a much more general way that are related to the cardiovascular system and kind of when I would use them. So for a great um, kind of a great supporter of the hawthorn picture is motherwort. So often I will recommend hawthorn and motherwort together. Mm-hmm. Motherwort is Leonardus, Leonurus cardiaca, which means lion-hearted. Um, it's a bitter nervine, so it has a strong bitter taste, which gives us the indication that it supports digestion, um, a healthy liver, healthy elimination, absorption and elimination, that bitter flavor. And it's also a nervine, so it's relaxing to the nervous system. It's very grounding, um, also very nutritive and more food-like. We use the aerial parts, um, right before or when the plant is flowering. So we're mostly talking about leaves and flowers. Um, And this has, motherwort has an affinity for the heart as well. It's cooling, nourishing, balancing to the cardiovascular system. And it can be, if somebody's really working with, like the way that I use this clinically is if somebody's really working with high blood pressure for a long time um, and Hawthorne isn't shifting it, I'll add motherwort into that mix, into that formula and see if that can help bring it down. Uh, often it can just be an adjuvating factor there to help um, whatever we're working on with Hawthorne. Um, it's definitely something that you would want in a formula or want to be taking if you had heart issues associated with anxiety, nervousness, loneliness, and poor digestion. So if there's poor digestion in the picture, but it's cardiovascular based, I would definitely have motherwort in a formula for that person. Motherwort is also very safe. There has not been any, there has not been as much research with motherwort as with Hawthorne. Um, from a from a medical perspective. Um, however, the research that has been done has shown it to be very safe and there are no known contraindications with heart meds. However, I would still advise, um, you know, being, being careful and making sure that you're working with a supportive practitioner so that you can really identify if there are any issues really early on. Um, also one that I would use as a tea or an extract. And just kind of a quick mention, because I feel like this is so important to say anytime anyone talks about bitter herbs, is that... That bitter is really a flavor that's been lost from a West, our Western diet. Mm. Um, we really focus on sugar and salt, um, so sweet and salty. And bitter is so important for gut health and therefore for the assimilation of nutrients and the health of our body. So when you're taking motherwort, you want to taste the bitter. You don't want to take it in a capsule. You want to che- you want to ingest motherwort as a tea. Um, and you can add other herbs in. You can add some peppermint or add some something is it, floral. Is it in Swedish bitters? Is it in that? I'm not I'm actually thinking, sure I'm if it is. Yeah, um, because that's like a tonic. Yeah, thinking of that tonic. It very, that's been around it very forever. well could be. It's not the most bitter plant. Like it's not the first one you would use purely for digestion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really emerging of the digestion with the heart picture. Okay. Um, but but just to mention that you're not getting that effect if you don't taste the bitter. It's tasting the bitter that actually releases 
you know, chemical pathways in the body that release hydrochloric acid and stimulate the liver and really get digestion going in the way that you're needing. So with motherwort, a capsule's not the way to go. And honestly, I don't actually use capsules at all. There you are don't? Some, no. There are some situations where if somebody really hates the taste of something, <laughs> I'll say, okay, well, it's great that some companies out there make good capsules. Um, but for the most part, unless your digestion is incredible, you're not going to be able to absorb a capsule. Mm. Um, and it's a very small, capsules are generally very small amounts of um, raw herb. So you're not getting as much from them. Your body has to work harder to, to receive. Digest it. Yep. Okay. To and, simulate it. And then, then also um, a lot of capsules these days are standardized to one of the constituents of the plants. And really there, I don't feel that there's been enough research on which constituents of those plants are beneficial for us to be um, kind of like playing God and deci- deciding which ones are going to make up this capsule and calling it the whole herb. If you're just joining us, this is Cynthia Swan on Healthy Options. My guest today is Jillian Kelsey Rose, and we are talking about men's health. Okay, I wanted to just kind of get yeah, in there. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I think we'll just touch on a few more, and I'm going to try to be quicker than I was with Mother War. This is, it's difficult for me. There's just so much that I love to say about the herbs. Um, but I really I do want to be able to touch on them all, so I'll just try to give little snippets. The next one we're going to mention is yarrow, um, and we're talking about the wild yarrow. We're not talking about the many, many cultivars of yarrow. We're talking about the white or sometimes light pink wild yarrow that grows everywhere on the sides of the road, etc. Of course, you only ever want to eat it if it's been um, growing somewhere that you know is safe and clean and uncontaminated. Um, yarrow is one that I would bring into the um, into a formula for somebody with a cardiovascular picture if we're looking to dissolve and move thrombosis. It has a really strong, it has many, many actions in the body that we won't talk about today, but it's really specific for helping to dissolve and move thrombosis. Um, also it's a bit astringent, so it's helpful for edema in the extremities. Um, and it's also bitter, so it's helpful overall for digestion. So someone who's getting that swelling in the ankles due to circulatory problems, yarrow would probably be a good herb to incorporate. Yeah. In that case, I would definitely be using yarrow. I'd start with a baseline of hawthorn. Mm -hmm. I'd definitely include yarrow. And then I would also definitely include butcher's broom, which is, um, a plant that's specific to, um, the valves of the cardiac cardiovascular system. It has an affinity for toning those valves so that as blood is pumped back up, um, the legs, for example, it can be held. Those valves, the integrity of those valves is very important to Mm -hmm. allowing that process. Let's see, the next one I wanted to mention is go-to cola, um, which is a common Eastern herb that we're starting to use more here in the West. Um, G-O-T-U and then K-O-L-A? Yep, that's correct. Yep, and we can grow it here as an annual. We cannot grow it as a perennial unless it's grown indoors in a heated greenhouse or in the house. Um, but that one is one, it's one that I use a lot. I learned about it in Australia. It was one where that we used a lot there. Um, and it's really, it just has this incredible affinity for the vessel walls, which Hawthorne also has, but go-to cola just seems a little more specific. Hawthorne does many, many things in the cardiovascular system. It feels to me like go-to cola has more of an affinity with really building integrity and maintaining elasticity of the vessel walls. And that elasticity is really important to the health of any tissue in our body. 
Um, so it's one that if there's like very slack or very hardened vasculature, I'll make sure I include that um, usually on top of the hawthorn. And let's see, go-to cola, I just want to make sure we say should not be used with insulin or cholesterol medications. Um, there's also evidence of it being contraindication, contraindicated with antidepressants and with epilepsy meds. So that's one that you definitely want to be careful about introducing if you're on any of those pharmaceutical meds, but it's otherwise a pretty safe herb. So all those herbs you've mentioned, hawthorn, motherwort, yarrow, um, go-to cola. Go-to cola. And you even mentioned butcher's broom. Mm-hmm. As an herbalist, as a clinical herbalist, do you ever put all of those together for Ver- someone? Very, very rarely. Um, so in the in the tradition that I was trained in, um, and the British tradition is very strong and it has a really strong background um, and a lot of it's, it's really a more respected part of the medical world there as well. Um, but in the tradition that I learned, there might be 34. 30 herbs in a formula. And that is just not how I feel called to practice. I definitely feel interested in being able to really see how each herb is interacting with the person and whether each one is really playing a a significant enough role to be taking every day. Okay. Um, So there might be very rare cases where I would have those all in there. If somebody had a very serious cardiovascular issue and they were working with a doctor and with me and we were all, you know, on the same page, then perhaps I would have all of those. But Usually it's kind of picking and choosing based on the situation. Okay. And I, Amy Brown just brought me in this, uh, what, what's in Swedish bitters? And there is no motherwort in Swedish bitters. <laughs> so uh, so definitely, yeah, camphor, myrrh, rhubarb root, saffron, senna, um, uh, theric. Is there gentian? Uh, no? a- aloe, water, no, angelica root, um, carlin, cool. thistle, thistle. Very interesting. So, yeah. So that's the typical Swedish bitter from Wikipedia. She pulled that mm-hmm. off. So, but that's interesting. Yeah, I would so have been. You. I would have been very surprised if motherwort had been in there. Thank you for pulling that off. Yeah, that thank you, Amy. Delicious. That was great. All so, are great. there any other cardio herbs that in your toolkit that you there? There are a lot, um, but I want to move on to other things. So I think that the one I'm going to I'm going to mention two quick things. One is cramp bark, which mm-hmm. is a viburnum. Cramp bark is a common viburnum that we can grow here, and you can get from the Fedco tree sale. Um, and cramp bark is really particularly suited, as its name says. It's an antispasmodic. It prevents cramping and spasming and all tissues of the body, as far as we know. It's very suited to heart palpitations or an irregular pulse. So So good for arrhythmia. Right, yeah. So, of course, if you have something like that going on, you want to talk to your doctor, and also you should consider trying cramp bark. It's also, like I said, a very safe herb. I really try not to talk about herbs that aren't safe in this sort of venue. I prefer that to be more of a... Right, because people might be wanting to, yeah, go out and try this. Yeah, I don't want people to just go try things that aren't very safe. Um, but cramp bark has a really long history of use. It's very common, um, and that one's a great great one to bring into a heart palpitation situation. The other one that I just want to mention for anyone who's interested in working with Hawthorne and who finds that it's just, if especially if somebody's been working with high blood pressure for a long time um, and they're not having a shift and they're maybe concerned about having to go on meds if, you know, their doctor says they have like six right. months to get a hold of it before they are going to put them on meds. Um, chrysanthemum, which can be sourced from herbalist and alchemist. There are many different chrysanthemums, but herbalist and alchemist which is a company um, on the East Coast, 
offers chrysanthemum that can be really helpful, just a, a small amount. Like I would say one part chrysanthemum to five parts hawthorn is a good mix for just getting that edge on um, high blood pressure that's just being really stubborn. And of so course, that would be taken though in a tea or an elixir or a normally in a, Normally you're working with an extract if you're really extract, working in a okay. specific way to like try to lower blood pressure and to try to do it soon. And so you're putting it in a glycerin? Normally in alcohol. Oh, in alcohol. Yep, it can be in glycerin if people don't do alcohol. Okay. Um, but alcohol is, it's a, it, is a better solvent for most constituents for plants. Um, and it also is very quickly and readily absorbed by the body. So it gets, it is absorbed easily. Um, of course, none of this is to uh, even mention diet and exercise, which are the most important aspects of cardiovascular health. And where we're specifically talking about herbs today, you know, we're not really going to delve into that. But I think it's just important to touch on the fact that exercise offers the most positive impact for high blood pressure and high cholesterol of anything else that you could do. And so define exercise, though. Sure. Um, anything, because some people are, go, I'm sorry, go ahead. I would define it in this case as any Anything that raises your um, heart rate for a substantial amount of time. So let's say raises your heart rate for at least 20 minutes. If you're able to do that, of course, people are at all different um, ability levels. And if you're really far along in a cardiovascular disease type of situation, then your definition of exercise will be different. Um, but elevated heart rate for 20, substantial. For, you're saying at least 20 minutes, preferably, and most days of the week? I would say as many days as you can, at least three. Okay. <laughs> okay. But, but I mean, that's such a debatable... And then diet. And I don't want to get in too deep in diet because we could go on and on forever about the whole diet thing. But but from, from your perspective, okay, somebody's coming to you, you're working with a client, they have high blood pressure. Let's use that one because that seems to be a common ailment I hear about. <clears throat> so... Um, let's say they've got high blood pressure and you've got them on maybe this one to five. You've got them on the chrysanthemum and hawthorn and you're trying to work to get the blood pressure down. What would you say to them about diet? Well, in that case, in that more intimate setting, we would talk a lot about diet. Um, okay. And I, because I studied naturopathy, I have... Um, trained in nutrition. I've studied some of Ayurvedic um, perspectives on nutrition, and that is something that I do more in depth with clients. Okay, so I'm not going to put you on the spot like that. Let's change the question. It, for listeners, yeah. what would be your three biggest things you might want to say about diet in this context? <sighs> okay. I'm only letting you have three. I would say, especially for heart health, okay. I would say one of the biggest things that people are told um, when they receive any kind of heart diagnosis, whether it's like you really need to pay attention to this or whether it's like you need to be on meds right now, one of the first things they hear is no more fats. There's a really long history behind that and it's very political, um, but I think it's important to reverse that belief of fats and to say that one of the most important things for cardiovascular health as far as we currently know, and this is also very ancient knowledge, is whole, unprocessed, unheated fats. So we're talking, you know, depending on your, whether you're a vegetarian or whether you're an omnivore, um, organic butter, pure olive oil that's unheated, coconut oil, lard, nuts, seeds, um, those are all really important to heart health because they are the fat, it's lipid dispersion that creates healthy 
um, cardiovascular tissue. So it's really important to have healthy lipids. We're not talking hydrogenated. We're not talking So processed. get rid of the canola oil, get rid of the uh, vegetable oil, corn oil. And right? try to buy organic okay. because um, especially with animal products. Um, organic is it is makes very a difference. Okay. Yeah. So, and then the other thing I would mention is fermented foods. But normally, what I kind of like to say in this sort of a talk is there's two books that if you're interested in, um, you know, if you're on the verge of changing your perspective on diet but you're not quite there yet, I often recommend are Michael Pollan's In Defense of Food. Oh, I love Michael, Pollan's which gives work. a great background. The omnivore's of- Dilemma, all of his books. He's I. Okay, that's my two cents, sorry. And and in defense of food especially gives a great background to like why we believe fats are bad and where that actually came from and how it was a very political and financially driven um, belief that was impressed on our culture. The second one is Nourishing Traditions by Sally Fallon. Sally Fallon, that's another. Okay, so that's the whole Weston Price group right there Mm -hmm. because she's a big uh, speaker for Weston Price and they are not vegetarians. No, they are, no, they are not. Um, but in defense of food, outlines some of the key points for people that are vegan or vegetarian or so that kind of covers all of your. Um, if you've just joined us, I want to take a quick break, um, and then we're going to uh, continue on in this conversation. I'll open a little later to calls as well, and we'll be right back. This is Cynthia Swan with Jillian Kelsey Rose speaking about men's health. Welcome back. I am interviewing Jillian Kelsey Rose about men's health. We've been talking about cardiovascular health. You're listening to WERU 89.9 FM Blue Hill 99.9 Bangor and WERU.org streaming. I'm Cynthia Swan and we're going to finish up on our cardiovascular herbs and then we're going to jump into the reproductive system and I'm going to give you the phone number to feel free to call. But let's finish this aspect here. You had one more herb you wanted to talk about. I actually think what I'm going to use that space for is just to touch on one herb for the nervous system, which Ah. is milky oats, um, Avena sativa. Um, And so this is the same oats that we use like as a cereal grain. Um, In oatmeal? Correct. Okay. But we consider or when we use them medicinally, we talk about, oh, am I too far away? <laughs> when we use oats medicinally, we're talking about collecting them in the milky stage. So when when you grow oats, if the oats get to a stage where when you squeeze the oats themselves, this um, white liquid comes out. And that's the stage that we collect them and dry them for medicine. So they're still, they're very different um, constituent basis at that time. And I just wanted to mention this because we don't have a lot of time and I always I always do this. I want to talk about all the herbs in such great depth, but I don't have that time. Um, so I just want to mention oats because they are to the nervous system as Hawthorne is to the cardiovascular system. I also consider them a trophorestorative, meaning that they're just so, they have such an affinity and are so restorative to the nervous system in ways that we can't understand and have this amphoteric ability to support the nervous system, whatever the picture is. Um, 
that they're kind of important to just put out there as a very foundational herb. So they're nourishing and tonifying to the whole nervous system. Um, Very, very long history of use. As we know, oats have been used as food for thousands of years, and they've been used medicinally for as long as far as we can tell. Um, Recorded medicinal use um, for several hundred years, and oats will be in some of the oldest pharmacopoeias in the world. Um, and sleep remedies, I think. Yep. I've seen milky Yep, oats. because of that neural, that ability to really build healthy neural tissue. So one thing that I like to mention about oats that a lot of people don't realize is that there's been actually a lot of research in recent years that has shown that oats are able to rebuild neural connections that have been broken. Mm-hmm. And that's really significant um, because we don't have much in the pharmaceutical world that is able to do that. Um, so rebuilding neural connections that have been broken. So that means it's really helpful for um, and, and worth using as a foundational like tea or tincture every day for anxiety, debility, paralysis, nerve pain, chronic nerve pain, along with other things, of course, nervous exhaustion and recovery from drug use. Um, definitely also linked to the heart. So helpful for nervous heart palpitations or tachycardia. Um, and really helpful to bring into the picture for nervous exhaustion or trauma. Something that I use a lot, especially um, for my male clients, is um, oats with something like calendula or rose for a history of sexual trauma. Um, So really healing, working to heal trauma on the level of both the nervous system and the spirit, being this strong, supportive but gentle herb. Um, And calendula and rose are both, calendula has such an affinity for the sacral region um, and for trauma to the sacral region to help heal that place where we hold the energy of relationship with other. And then rose is so connected to the heart. Okay. And that sacral region being the reproductive area. Yeah. Yeah. And so that could segue us right into the reproductive. Okay, perfect. I'm going to give the toll-free number call if you have a question. 1-866- 625-9378. Give that to you again. 1-866-625-WERU. So let's go into reproductive health. And I'm, um, so I, where do you want to start there? Well, I want to start because we're talking about men's reproductive health. Um, I really feel morally obligated to start with a quick note on circumcision. Um, And of course, this is where I get a little bit... um, This is where I share my opinion, and it's a little bit controversial. Um, But my opinion of circumcision is that it's a medically unnecessary surgery. That's actually not an opinion. That is something that has been proven fact by uh, health insurance all over the world. It's a medically unnecessary surgery, which produces a high number of deformities and even fatalities every year. And what I really want to say, and I think maybe we have a caller, so we'll just open up. But what I'd like to say is that um, I really don't know if anyone has a concept of the severity of how this pain and betrayal in the early hours of life can affect sexual trauma later in life. So you think circumcision actually affects I think it's a great health? thing to avoid. Okay. <laughs> so we have Jocko from Abbott. Hi. Hi, Jocko. What's your question or comment for Jillian? Well, first of all, saying that about circumcision, I'm so glad to hear somebody say that. I didn't have my son circumcised, and I think it was it's ridiculous that uh, we've been duped by it. But that's not my question. Uh, okay. Uh, my, uh, I have, like, uh, some pretty intense anger issues, 
and uh, uh, you know I've had to go do mental health. Uh, I've gone through a lot of uh, in my earlier years, lots of uh, uh, say usage of psychotropic medication. I don't use any. I haven't used any for about twenty plus years. Mm -hmm. But I do believe many of those cause a lot of damage to my brain, and uh, you know. So, like, it's a two-part question. Like, how can I help recover my c cover some of the maybe the damage, and then the other thing is just uh, you know ideas about dealing with anger. Uh, I have a whole lot of anger that you know from that I've carried a long time, and it's just it just comes out in the wrong ways all the time. Uh, and if you had any. Uh, suggestions of what I might be able to do. I would appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for um, calling in and for presenting your question. Um, I guess starting from an herbal perspective, because I'm an herbalist and I'm primarily on here today to talk about herbs, um, I'll just start with kind of mentioning that milky oats, which we just talked about being such a foundational plant for the nervous system, um, could be really helpful to you. There are a lot of herbs that could be as well, um, so it would be worth talking to an herbalist. But of course, also um, recognizing that specifically working with anger isn't my area of experience or expertise. It's something that I have um, helped steer clients to a helpful um, support in the past. Um, and there are certainly herbs that can be helpful on a on more of a spiritual level as well as a physical level. Um, but my perception of working with anger, I guess there's there's so much to it. So I'm trying to decide where I want to start. One thing I would start with is that anger is held in the body and the liver. Um, that's something that I'm very aware of from years and years of experience seeing clients and hearing that from other teachers. And so definitely working with the liver can be helpful, working with bitter herbs, um, especially milk thistle. And then learning learning positive ways to um, allow your anger to move. So when we bottle up anger, it becomes stagnant um, and more prevalent. But when we allow it to move out of the body and to move out of ourselves in positive or you know safe spaces, that that's really important. Something that I was reading recently, I've been reading this incredible book by this woman named Min Mia, who's an Aboriginal elder in Australia. And she talks about how um, anger is held in the body and becomes stagnant, and the only way that it can be released is through tears. Um, so they actually have in her nation where she grew up, she talks about having a practice, um, a daily practice for some people and monthly practice for others, depending on their need of really creating space to cry and to release tears. And I have I have found that really helpful in my life. Um, but it's a multifaceted question, and I would definitely suggest... Um, so the herbs that you were suggesting were milky oats, just to recap for Jocko, and... And milk thistle And for milk the liver. thistle to help to tonify the liver because there's congestion sometimes in the liver yeah. for uh, for anger. And I wonder if you have any suggestions about maybe a good person to speak with. Um, um we, I, I, I'm not at liberty to do stuff like oh, that on the oh, show, okay. but, but, um, so, but Jocko, I hope that offers you some help. You can, um, email Jillian for more information. Uh, Jillian, uh, 
and, and Jillian's email, JillianKelseyRose at gmail.com. Uh, I got to let you go. I hope that's of some help to you, Jocko. We've got a couple other callers waiting to get on. So thank you for that. Um, next up is Yo. So, Yo, you're on the air. What is your question or comment for Jillian? Good morning. This is Yo in Tremont. Good morning. I understand that herbs have healing effects that drugs do not. Can you compare store-bought herbal extracts with homemade preparations? What about using herbs occasionally for acute symptoms or taking daily doses for chronic? Also, can herbs be effective against cancer? Thank you for putting on this program, and thank you to everyone for supporting Community Radio. Thanks, Yo. Jillian, what's your response to Yo's okay, multi, so I'm, I'm multi question, the first question. multiple questions? Can are can, can herbs? Um, you know, so he's talking about standardized the extracts that you might buy uh, as opposed to, making, as opposed them to making them. Yep. So um, it's a big question, actually, and I'm going to try to answer it as succinctly as I can. Um, in order to produce herbs on in mass quantity, which is what needs to be done in order for them to be on store shelves, um, first of all, you need to abide by FDA process. So you need to have a standardized recipe that you follow, and you need to um, go by certain levels of you know sterile sterilized commercial kitchen and that sort of thing. So I guess what you're talking about is is a very different process from making it at home. And the reason that I mention that, because I know it's rather obvious, is that to me, the biggest difference between herbs on a store shelf and herbs that you make for yourself is the energy that you put into them. So I grow and produce most of the herbal remedies for my family. It's something I feel really strongly about. And I feel like all that effort and love and energy is in there. And I just, I don't discount that. After years and years of seeing the difference, I don't discount that. It's really important to get herbs from a company, if, if you are buying them from a company, to get them from a company that you feel has good energy and um, and good, strong ethics and morals. Um, however, like I said, the question is, is actually huge. So the other thing that I'll say is that um, most herbs that are on store shelves in the, like in the health food stores here in New England are simple extracts. They're one in five extracts, but many of them are standardized extracts, which um, as I mentioned briefly earlier, means that somebody somewhere has decided that one constituent of that plant is the most important constituent and has the greatest effect. And so they've standardized their extracts to contain mostly that constituent. Um, and then all the other constituents may or may not be there in some quantity. I feel that this is pretending we know more than we do. Um, as humanity. And I feel that it's unlikely to be helpful in the same way that a traditional extract or tea, for example, has been helpful. I do think it can still be helpful, but I don't think that we can go off of, you know, thousands of years of evidence using an herb one way and then say that it's going to have the same effect or a stronger effect if we prepare it a different way. I just don't think that that's Good okay. scientific. I'm going to jump in and move you along. Okay, okay. He, but but he also you also ask can herbs cure cancer? He asked something in between that too. I know, and I can't remember it. Okay. If you can remember it, go for it. But otherwise, what what's your sense of the curing cancer? Curing cancer. I believe that herbs play a really significant role in um, healing from cancer for people who are open and interested to that. There are a lot of herbs, and it's very complex. And of course, anytime we talk about cancer, it can be controversial to offer alternative means 
um, of healing. However, um, so yeah, it really comes down to the individual and what their belief system is and what they are open to, because ultimately something's not going to be helpful if someone believes it won't be, um, no matter what. But your sense as an herbalist is that Herbs. I've, I've seen herbs help people significantly. With it's cancer. Real, it's really important to be working with a whole practitioner team and with a doctor who is not only a great cancer doctor, but also is supportive of the alternative things you're using. And open, so you're working together. So yeah. it takes more than an herbalist. It takes a group of people in the realm of cancer. Is that what I'm hearing you say? I don't want to put words in your well, mouth. Well, I don't even want to say that because okay. there are a lot of people who heal, heal their cancer on their own. Okay. And I don't want to discount that. But I but I want to say that my professional opinion is that I have to say it's important to work with the whole team okay. if that feels right to you. Okay. We'll leave it there. We have another caller, and this is David from Brooklyn. David, what is your question or comment for Jillian? Uh, great show, thanks. I'll try and be as brief as I can. I, uh, what uh, Your middle question was uh, daily versus occasional usage. Ah. Oh, yeah. Uh, just as a prompt. Uh I w- I'm, I'm wishing that we had more access to your knowledge and to people with your knowledge because uh, it, the poor cannot find uh, ways to pay the cost of the treatment which you so, so, so uh, thoroughly deserve. Uh, and I'm, I, I just wondered, you know, just to, uh, can, can we set up some kind of a locally funded and participatory uh, insurance system, which by our own choosing could pay for this treatment for people who couldn't. Uh, but uh, what I really wanted to say was to thank you for your shout out to Hawthorne. And um, I've I've been making a, an applesauce of Hawthorne berries for several years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I put them through a, 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 one of the grinders, the same one you use for applesauce, mm-hmm. a crank grinder. Cool. And uh, with a very, very little bit of water and, uh, and then add uh, um, maple syrup to make it palatable because uh, it's bitter uh, yeah. but it's very intense and uh, I, I think it's very good uh, the problem and the question I have is that uh, I have I have it in small little jelly jars uh, can because otherwise it will ferment um, mm-hmm. uh, and I try to can it minimally uh, so as not to destroy whatever's in there by the heat but mm-hmm. uh, uh, it will give me the runs ah. if I you know, if I take a, a tablespoon a day of this stuff, uh, I can I can be fairly certain I'm going to get the run. Not seriously, but, you know, it does happen. And so I don't use it as frequently as I would like to. And I don't know whether you think there's any, whether that means it's too strong a dose or whether there's perhaps something else I could be mixing in with my uh, applesauce counteract that tendency. Yeah, that's really interesting. I wonder, when it, when you have normal applesauce made just from apples, do you have a similar effect? No. Interesting. I've never heard of that before. Um, and are, do you have a really sensitive gut otherwise? Uh, more and more so, but not, not really. No. Not specifically. No. I would wonder if a little bit more... I don't know. I would wonder if a little bit more bitter in your diet would be helpful. Another yeah, thing that could no be doubt. another thing that could be helpful to mix into that jam. You know, if you're really feeling strongly like there's no other issue that needs to be worked on, and this is really just how Hawthorne interacts with your particular system, which, as I said, I've never heard of before. Um, but then I would consider adding in a little bit of slippery elm. Slippery elm is mucilage. Um, uh, yeah, mucilage, and will kind of help um, to bind that extra fluid 
fluid and to help it be absorbed by the body. Um, and of course, anytime I mention slippery elm, I also do need to mention to please source it from somebody who's cultivating it organically because it is being over harvested in the wild. Thanks a lot. All right, thanks, Great David. Thanks, thanks for, for thanks for coming on. Thank you. So I'm glad that David told us d daily versus occasional dosage. Yeah, reminded you wanna... us of Yo's second question. Yeah. Um, there's a big difference between daily versus occasional usage. So I use herbs really, really frequently for small issues. Um, like recently, my 15-month-old son had a diaper rash. It's the first time he's ever gotten one. We were doing a lot of traveling, and I sprinkled just a little bit of golden seal powder, organically cultivated golden seal powder on there, um, and it cleared it up immediately. But golden seal is something that I would never use on a daily basis with um, somebody with such a young liver, and also it's being over-harvested in the wild, so I use it as sparingly as possible. Um, so using herbs in a more long-term daily way, really, you, you do that with herbs that help to build up and continue to build a particular system in the body, usually. Um, and you usually use a much lower dose if you're going every day. Um, for acute things, like say you have really bad bronchitis, you might kind of, like I would say, be pounding those herbs, like taking herbs all day, every day, until that clears up. Um, again, depending on what the herbs are, because some herbs are a little too strong for that. But it's really a varied question, and I hope that that just gives some inkling of it. Um, but if we're going to go back to heart health, and you're thinking of hot thorn as a tonic herb that's yep. okay every day but is there ever a point when you want to get off of that like sometimes I've heard these regimes of six weeks on you know one week off or yeah, six months off one you know that that you're you don't want to be on something con consistently all the time is that true for all herbs or? I feel like um I it seems almost hypocritical to say this because I'm not good about doing this, but I feel that um, just like food, it's it's really, we know it's really beneficial for the body to have an occasional fast or if there's something that you eat almost every day to not eat it for a little while. Um, and same with herbs, no matter what herb you are taking, I think it's beneficial to take a break every six months, sometimes sooner if it's a stronger herb, but at least to take a break for a couple of weeks every six months, just to check in with your body. Like, do I still need this? What happens if I go off of it? Mm -hmm. um, some people will find, some people who are taking herbs for a chronic disease picture that, um, and especially if they're just happy maintaining it and they're not really wanting to go, you know, run the marathon for really deep healing, then some people will find that if they go off of something they're taking chronic long-term like that for chronic condition, that um, it'll like flare them up again. So it's okay. really up to the person, but in general, I would recommend it. If you're just joining us, I'm Cynthia Swan, Healthy Options. My guest is Jillian Kelsey-Rose. We're talking about men's health. And if you want to call, we only have a couple minutes remaining, but 866-625-WERU. It looks like we have another caller. This is Catherine from Appleton. Catherine, thanks for joining us. What is your question or comment for Jillian? Yes, hi, Rhonda. I'm hoping that maybe, hi, Jillian, I'm in Appleton, so it's lovely to know how close you are. But um, I'm hoping that she can come back and really talk about men's reproduction, because I know I'm 72 or 9, however you want to put it together, and um, there are a lot of men out there that can't get erections anymore, and I'm, I'm sure it all has to do with the flow of blood and the heart, but I'm sure there are a lot of men, and there are probably a great amount of men in our listening audience that 
would love to be able to have an erection again. And, and, and well, I'm just going to talk, say it like it is. So okay. I wish you could come back and really talk about that. So I'm going to get off now. All right. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, uh, thanks, Rhonda. Yeah. So, um, go. What do you want to say about reproductive? In, in, I know we only have a few minutes. Do you have like one heroic herb that you <laughs> would like say? You know, reproductive issues. Look at this. I know I'm putting you on the spot. Okay, I I do. However, I think it's more important to say that although I would love to come back and talk more specifically about the reproductive system, um, I think it's really important to say that the reason we started with cardiovascular and nervous system health is because the penis is the canary in the coal mine. Okay. So this is something that James Green and his Male Herbal, which is a great book for anyone who wants to learn James more about James Green, this. Male Herbal? Yep, the okay. Male Herbal. He coined those words, the penis is the canary in the coal mine. So if there are erectile issues, they're usually related to a cardiovascular or a nervous system or a spiritual and mental health issue. Um, so I wanted to start there, but there there is a lot more. Go are ahead. we out of time? Or no, 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 go have? ahead. Okay. So if I'm going to mention one herb related to reproductive health, I think I'm going to start with nettle. Nettle, again, I'm starting with not the most like potent change things right now herb, but I'm starting with the foundational herb. It's the herb that should be um, in a protocol for somebody wanting to work with herbs who has reproductive issues in a male body. Um, so nettle is a very nutritive urinary, endocrine, and reproductive tonic. It's helpful for building energy, stamina, and strength. Um, and the reason I just want to mention this is that 50% of men between 50 and 60 years of age will um, develop benign prostatic hypertrophy or an enlargement of the prostate. prostate yep. um, this can often lead to prostate cancer. It's a really big issue, um, and it's one that we don't have a lot of really effective remedies for. So I just want to mention that nettles just use as a tea, so we're talking about nettle leaves used as a normal tea, like you could even get nettle tea bags from a good source. Um, and take that every day, was shown in German trials to be as effective as the leading BPH drug, which was finasteride, in reducing symptoms and progression of BPH. Um, finasteride's side effects, as many of us know, include erectile dysfunction, decreased libido, difficulty with ejaculation, testicular pain, difficulty breathing, breast pain. Nettle does not have those side effects. Nettle is a diuretic. You may find that you are peeing a bit more than usual, um, but that can be worked with in other ways and nettles benefit to the male reproductive system is so incredible that I just I can't stress so it's that enormous enough. so mm -hmm. nettle is like one of the kings for the <laughs> yeah. men's health yeah, it's a reproductive health. restorative okay reproductive and health. then others that come to your mind Others, I would definitely include saw palmetto, which is not a plant that we can grow here. It is one that we have to get from down south. It's grown down south. You definitely want to get it from someone who's growing it. It's another nutritive tonic to the male reproductive system. Um, and this one really has an effect on hormone regulation, both for men and women. Um, it prevents prostate enlargement, helps to reverse prostate or testicular atrophy, and improves fertility. Um, it's also a very safe one, usually used as an extract or a tea or a powder. Really helpful for, um, it's used frequently for erectile dysfunction and for libido. And it really, it nourishes the system without directly stimulating. So there are a lot of plants out there that will be touted to be very stimulating for erectile dysfunction. Um, Yohimbe is one of the most widely known ones. Yohimbe, Spelled Y-O-M. 
Y-O-H-I-M-B-E. And Yohimbe, I'm touching on that because it's one of the most widely known ones, but it's extremely dangerous um, and should not be used without guidance. We have to stop it there. I'm so sorry. We'll have to to reconvene. Um, Thank you for joining us. This is Cynthia Swan for Healthy Options. My guest, Jillian Kelsey-Rose. And you can reach her by email, JillianKelseyRose at gmail.com. Her website is Ursa Herbal, U-R-S-A Herbal.com. And she's going to be teaching an herbal course this summer for beginners and doing an advanced one coming up soon at the Earthwalk School of Herbal Traditions. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering the show. Thank you for the callers and interest in the show. And thank you most of all to Jillian Kelsey Rose. Thanks for joining us. Your your wisdom is it's just unfathomable. Thank I you so much. Love Tim. having Thanks you as a guest. Thanks for everyone listening. Thanks. Support for WERU comes from the 30th Annual Camden Conference.